Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. My first week back to school was this week, and it's looking like it's going to be a humdinger of a year. So I'm going to warn people ahead of time that I might not be as prolific. The the podcasts I can keep up with, no problem. It's the videos that take some time to edit and put together and get the footage and... And during the summer, my goal was to put together a bunch of videos and kind of have them banked for, you know, in case I went back to school and I was too busy, but that didn't happen. I tried to work more on the editing. I've been trying to really up my game on the videos and make them a little more visually appealing because, again, I'm not trying to go for the entertainment angle, but I am realizing now that people, unfortunately, sometimes just skip over my channel because they look at it and they go, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about because my videos don't look particularly flashy. And although I'm never going to go the whole MTV route with, you know, super cuts and every two seconds and all that stuff and music and a lot of that, I am trying to make them more visually appealing for people so they'll stick, hang around and realize, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. Hopefully he knows what he's talking about and the information is good. So that was one of my goals this summer was to kind of pick it up a little bit in terms of the editing there. The good thing is the podcast, I can do those every Saturday. Billy just ran out to go shopping as usual, and here we are doing it. So those won't suffer. I will keep, I I have a streak going with these. I think I've only missed one in the, oh gosh, we got to be around 80 something episodes I've done, which has been fantastic for me, especially for something I wasn't sure how long it would last. When I first started the podcast, I didn't think they were going to catch on. And I figured we'd give it a shot, see how it went and just kind of let it fade away. But nope. I love it. I love the I, I love this format. I love the fact that people that come to the podcast generally want to hear this stuff. It's like with the videos, we mentioned this before. A lot of people will click on the videos. I think one of them I put up recently. I spent a lot of time on it. I was re- I was really excited and, and the response immediately looked great. And then when you look at the actual, you know, stats as far as how much of the video people were watching, at one point it was like 19%. So it means people were going on putting it on for like a minute and going, oh, that's great. And I don't, it makes it so it's not even worth the time sometimes. So the good thing about the podcast is people that consume podcasts generally listen to the whole things. And I I love that aspect of it because this is, we've kind of distilled it to the people that are really interested in hearing this information, which I absolutely love. So moving ahead, those of you listening to me right now, the podcast will be fine. It'll most likely impact, you know, my ability to put out videos. The only good thing is I have a little more time on the computer to get some articles done. So uh, it's it's looking like it's going to be quite the year. Basically, what I we get our schedules at the end of the year. I spent the summer preparing for a class that when I came in, they took the class away and I got something different. So everything I had worked on all summer, gone. So there's hopefully we'll find a point somewhere else to use it. But uh, it's going to be back to the drawing board. A lot of me working on – usually I'm totally prepared going in from the summer. I spend the summer getting ready. I've also been teaching for a while, so I do have materials. I change everything every year, but I do have a, at least a toolbox I can go to with stuff I can start with, and this is going to be kind of starting from total scratch. So anyway, enough of that. But moving on, first thing I want to say is thank you to anybody that bought merchandise. I did put my shop up, and I've, I've joked with people that I was afraid to put up. It just – again, the whole thing kind of felt weird to me, which is why it, it was really important for me to do something other than just the Tom's Big Spiders logos. And uh, the response has been excellent. Like I'm a- absolutely shocked. I figured you know, a couple people would come forward and pick some stuff up. But uh, logo shirts have been selling great, which I, I truly appreciate that. And people have been picking up the other spider designs. So my goal is honestly to, to forging ahead. My goal is to periodically introduce a new species, a species, and maybe some of them will put up the vote and see what people want to see, and on shirts. But my goal is to have stuff out there that you don't have to just promote my channel. I mean, let's just talk about tarantulas being cool as it is. And one of the reasons I designed them the way I did, I had. Other ideas where they're a little more realistic and I tried things out, but I kind of wanted them to almost be like 
you know, it, a, a bright graphic tee, like something you'd see, I don't want to say sold at Walmart, but Walmart always has this nice section of like cool t-shirts with like, you know, Marvel superheroes and things of that nature on them. And when I was designing these, I decided it would be cool to have them not like something that somebody would look at and not necessarily recognize right off the bat that, oh my gosh, that's about a tarantula. And then maybe I, uh, scientific names, obviously I'm totally into the scientific names. So I, I, I toyed with ideas of having the scientific name and the the common name on it, decided, you know what, this is Tom's Big Spiders. I usually do scientific name. Not that I'm not one of those people that is, you know, dead set or will yell at people for using common names. I'm just not as familiar with them. So I figured scientific and that will give people maybe, you know, obviously somebody's going to notice your t-shirt and go, why the heck are you wearing a giant spider on it? And it'll give you something to talk about. And then maybe they ask about the name. So I wanted to keep with the educational aspect of it. But the response has been amazing. Please let me know how the things look. I mean, I I, I ordered samples. I got it for a couple different places. I will say another place I got from I was not impressed with the sample of the places I got the Teespring. I liked what they did. It looked quality. So let me know. But again, going ahead, we will be doing more of them. I will be doing more of them, um, putting more species out there. And as long as there's a demand for it, we'll keep going. And honestly, it's just fun for me. And I'm going to be doing ones I want to see. So if nobody buys them, so be it. I'll end up having my own, which is totally cool. So again, thanks so much to everyone who's shelled out their hard-earned money for them. I hope you like them and please keep me updated. So now I've been promising in the last, I think, two or three weeks that I was going to go back to doing some species specific uh, husbandry notes and there's one species I planned on doing at least the last two weeks it was that was supposed to be the podcast I started talking about something else though and it went long and honestly I find with these if I'm allowed to just kind of naturally flow with what's on my mind they tend to come out better than the ones that I have like sometimes I come with an outline I never have a script it's always like hit this point hit this point talk about this and those tend to be a little more stilted so this one I'm prepared for I'm ready and this morning I went to catch up on my YouTube comments because I got a little bit behind and there was a comment from Jen Miller asking specifically about C. Darlingi. Now, as luck would have it, a couple years ago, I ended up buying some of the, what the common name, rear horn baboon or Ceratogyrus darlingi. I picked some up specifically. Now, I shouldn't say specifically. I love the species, but I had had some years ago and both of them turned out to, they matured male and I hadn't had any for a while. And this is probably one of next to probably Acanthoscuria geniculata the most requested care information I get. Like I can't tell you, every, every time I post something up, somebody asks about A. geniculata and usually C. darlingi. Can you do a video? Can you do a video? And the problem with the videos is, as everybody knows, and I've alluded to this before, I won't do a video if I don't get good footage of the spider. It doesn't. Nobody wants to sit there and look at me. Nobody wants to sit there and look at a tub of dirt. So I try to do it when I'm either doing a rehousing or I catch one out. So I've been trying to collect footage for the C. darlingi for quite some time. And the other day I went to feed her and she came Came right up to the top. My one that I'm, is a female. I'm totally excited because I've gotten a lot of males of the species, and I was able to get some good footage of her. And then hopefully I'll be able to get her out again, get some more footage, and we can do the video. But and the good thing about the podcast is. I don't need video, so I can just talk. There's no pictures involved, so I can just go ahead and use my words and, and get this one out there, which, again, one of the reasons I love the podcast. So we are going to address them here. I am going to put together the video. This is the next one I'd like to do, like a species, uh, you know, notes on probably not one of the big featured species ones because I don't have enough footage for that. But I did just pick up an enclosure for my female, and I'll be setting that one up and doing a rehousing video, and we'll get some information in there. But anyway, the first batch I got, I picked up slings, and they were about a half inch, and I ended up putting them in 16 ounce deli cups with eh, roughly about probably four inches, five inches of substrate. They were, they were really deep. And at that time I was using cocoa fiber. So you had the typical, you know, fluffiness to it. And again, I have a lot of people that will say, you know, 
that cocoa fiber isn't good for brewers or it's not the best. Let's put it that way. It is fluffy and some of them have a hard time with, but keep in mind, they do reinforce their burrows with webbing. And that's what my two Cedar Lingi slings did. I put them in, they immediately dug down, reinforced the whole thing with webbing, webbed a little bit on the surface and basically had a maze of tunnels. This is one of the first fossorial spiders I kept that didn't just do the typical one burrow down and then, you know, have their little area down at the bottom. There was a bunch, it was almost looked like Swiss cheese from the top. There was a bunch of different openings and they were all reinforced by webbing. Now, when I was first reading about these guys, I read a lot of stuff that said they're kept bone dry. I will say I did give my slings, I poured some water in, kept the bottom layers when I stepped the substrate, the bottom layers were moist. And I will say that both of them dug right down to that moist layer. And again, that's something we forget about with some of these species that we find come from arid areas. Not to say that all of them do this, but a lot of them will live in burrows. I mean, I was just talking to somebody that got a a Fonapelma calcotis, and she was saying, yeah, I, I added, the substrate was a little bit moist on the bottom. I was afraid because I read that they needed to dry, but she dug right down to the bottom, and that's where her den is. Yeah, a lot of these guys in the wild will dig burrows, and the burrows, A, have a different temperature than the outside. So we've talked about before, I believe there's, I, I have to find this information where somebody told me that the burrows basically, wherever they measure them, there's like a temperature right around 68, 70 degrees or so in the burrows, no matter how hot it is outside and sometimes how cold it is outside. So that's something to always keep in mind that those burrows are a lot cooler than the, you know, outside where the sun's beating down on the earth. That you need to keep in mind, plus the fact that a lot of them will dig until they reach moisture of the lower levels of dirt. So obviously, if you go out in your yard on a dry day and you start digging, the top soil is going to be particularly dry. But as you get lower, you'll find it gets more moist. And that's what happens with the burrow. So I did find with these guys, I do keep them partially moist. And I found that even as juveniles, mine will appreciate a little bit of moisture, which is something that I hadn't, when I first was doing the reading on them and trying to find, you know, how to keep them. Everybody talked about, yeah, I keep mine dry. I keep mine dry. I have found that mine will kind of gravitate toward that area. I've seen mine drink before. That's an important thing. So again, always keep in mind, even with most of the quote unquote arid species, they will appreciate a drink from a water dish. And some of them when younger will appreciate some moisture. The one species I can think of that doesn't, I, they don't really need the moist substrate anytime is the C. cyanio pubicans, where I found that the slings have no preference, don't want anything to do with it whatsoever, but they will drink. And I've seen them drink off of webbing. So something to keep in mind. But anyway, first time I had slings, I'll just sum this one up. I had them in these cups. I looked one day and one of them had molted and he or she, we this is going to be a quick one. We're going to find out the uh, twist ending to this one very quickly, but wasn't sure what it was, but looked rather large. It was about two inches long or so. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to rehouse it. And then I caught it in the good light and realized it was a male. And I was shocked because it was very, very tiny. Like this was one of the smaller mature males I had ever seen. I was completely like not expecting it to mature out that quickly. I'm thinking, oh, here we go, juvenile. I got to rehouse. Nope, that was a mature male. So that one kind of surprised me. The second one matured later on. It was several months later and it was quite a bit larger. So again, I've seen this with other baboon species. I've talked about the fact that my Monocentropus balfrey, uh, one male matured very, very early and was much smaller than the other male. So one of them was about three and a half inches, but some of the other males are closer to four and a half. So much larger than this male. So I've noticed that now with a couple of different species that the males don't necessarily, aren't necessarily the same size when they mature. There's some differentiation and I don't know, it could be, you know, temperatures they've kept, been kept at, feeding schedule. I It could be a, com, a combination of both. I'm not sure what exactly leads to that, but I did experience it with 
with the Sea Darlingi. So the, I had two males the first batch. I was really bummed out because I was hoping to get a female. And then I got into other things. And for a while, I didn't keep any. And then basically, like I said, once a week or so for a long time, Somebody would come on, do you have Cedar Lingi? Please help me with Cedar Lingi. I'd love to have one on Cedar Lingi. And I think part of it is a fact, and we've mentioned this before, that Cedar Lingi is often mentioned when people talk about the best beginner baboon species. This is a species that a lot of people point to as one to move on to because they are relatively laid back. Mine are kind of secretive, but if you, you know, play your cards right and catch them up on the surface, they'll usually dart down beneath. Although my female has been a lot more bold in that respect. Again, I fed her the other night and she came right up on the top. I threw in, I think, four red runner roaches the males and she was scarfing them all up right there so it gave me you know a chance to get some footage of her but they are i don't get threat poses from them worst case scenario you open the enclosure and they're on top they scoot right down one of those holes and again they will web quite a bit on the surface they'll web around those holes and they'll be like an entrance an exit and then possibly a third hole in some instances they tend to swiss cheese that substrate quite a bit so Fast forward, I ended up picking up three more and I ended up, it was two slings and then somebody had like, I think I had a juvenile from Tanya. She had an older one or something, not not juvenile, just a larger sling. I'm like, what the heck, I'll pick up a third one because I really want a female this time. Well, one of the smaller slings matured into male. So I was like bummed there because here we go. Now I'm three for three with them. However, I finally have the one I was just alluding to. That's a female that is looking great. She's in great shape. And then I have another one that I'm hoping will be a female. Now with these guys, originally had them set up in the dram vials because the first two I got were very, very tiny. So dram vials will work for these guys as will, I think they're like five ounce deli cups, the smaller ones. So if you have a, a really tiny sling, keep in mind, they will burrow. The general you know, mindset on this one is you want to give them as much substrate as you can, but just be sure it's not going to be one of those situations where they burrow all the way down to the bottom and then don't bother coming up to get anything. Like we talk about, P. muticus can do that. I have not experienced that with these guys. I will say the first two I got, as I said, half inch, and I put them in 16 ounces. This time I was using Ziploc deli cups, the ones with the blue lids that screw on, and those I had filled those pretty much all the way up with substrate, and they'd gone all the way down the bottom, and they still ate fine. There were no issues there. So with slings, you know, Tiny ones, dram bottles will work great, uh, uh, deli cup, or you can just go right to the, you know, the 16-ounce deli cup or 32-ounce deli cup. Either of those would probably work great. Just make sure one thing, I'm about to do that video that I've been talking about for weeks, but I haven't been able to finish about, you know, housing fossorial species. Always keep in mind that they're going to remove a lot of dirt, and that dirt's going to come up to the surface. So I've had some situations where I've filled it with so much dirt that when they dig out and burrow, it ends up stacked all the way to the lid, which can be kind of pain in the butt. So just keep in mind, you want to leave some space in there. I've had people before come on videos where I've left like, you know, six inches of free space in the enclosure. And they're like, wow, you got to put some more substrate in there. And I'm like, no, don't worry. They're going to dig and they're going to bring that dirt up. And they do. They bring the dirt up and it makes a little mound around where the opening to their burrow is. And you got to have some room for that. So keep that in mind. But slings, not that I found this species grows rather quickly. They're voracious eaters. They almost all tunnel except, and I want to point this out because this is what uh, Jen Miller's question was about. She has two of them that she set up. They did not dig and they webbed instead. And that's one of the little quirks with baboon species where if you don't give them enough substrate, they will build their own burrows. They will web. They will do a lot of webbing to create their, you know, their safety because they're not able to dig. However, another thing that we don't talk about a lot is some of them, we talk about how 
you know, behavior can differ from specimen to specimen. And for whatever reason, some specimens don't ever dig, even though you're, you might have given them a perfect setup. They have deep substrate. There's some moisture on the bottom that sometimes attracts them to dig. But for whatever reason, they don't. And they just start off by building their, you know, web burrow around the, on, on the surface of the substrate. And that's normal. I had that happen with the, of the three new ones I have, two of them were in dram bottles. One of them never dug into the substrate, uh, substrate in the dram bottle. It instead webbed up the top of it, which made it difficult to feed because you'd open up the top of that bottle and it was right there usually. And then when I rehoused them, one of them originally, I put them into a small critter keeper type enclosure. And one of them, again, stayed right up on the surface around the piece of cork bark. I given a starter burrow. It had some moist substrate, but it took up around the cork bark and started webbing around there. However, eventually it, it molted and then it dug. So sometimes they change behavior. So keep in mind, yes, it is normal. Sometimes, it, regardless of the species, if you hear that it's fossorial, Obviously, if it doesn't dig and you've heard that this is going to be a burrowing species, you should be questioning, is there something I could do differently? And there are some instances where people contact me and I ask them to send me pictures of the enclosure and I'll go, oh, here's what's going on. You know, here there isn't quite enough room for it to dig or it looks like it basically took refuge in the corner there because it was scared at first and then just started creating its burrow there, or give, you know, with webbing, give it some time, whatever. But sometimes it's just the spider doesn't do what you want it to do or expect it to do. They're all different. So never panic with a situation like that. Obviously, it's good to always question, could I do something differently? I'm expecting this type of behavior. Is there something I could do to foster that type of behavior? Yeah, that's always a good question to ask, but it's never something to really panic about. I talk about my Ophilopinus. I had a female that they burrowed, burrowed, burrowed. So I moved her into a new enclosure. She burrowed. I gave her a lot of substrate. And then she molted, came up, filled up her burrow, filled in the burrow completely, and then stayed on the surface for about a year and a half during the next molt cycle. She molted on the surface and she built herself, you know, some web curtains, molted on the surface. And then guess what she ended up doing? Burrowing again. So they're weird like that, but it's, they know what they're doing. It's not anything to panic about. So Jen, if you're listening to this, Yes, this is totally normal behavior. So the second ones I got, dram bottles, start them in dram bottles. They grew rather quickly. Then I moved them into small critter keepers. I like the small critter keepers for juvenile baboons. I mean, obviously use whatever... I'm not one that sits there and tells you you've got to use this enclosure or you got to use this one. We all, I think part of the hobby is discovering things that work for you. It's it's part of the fun of the hobby is going out and, you know, hitting Walmart or hitting the container store and going, wow, this would make a great one for this one. And sometimes you find something that's a keeper and sometimes you find something that ends up in a stack in your garage, like the plethora of empty enclosures I currently have out there. So whatever works for you, I like those critter keepers because they're very easy to come by. Again, we always talk about Walmart and it's because I must have like 42 Walmarts within a mile radius of my home now. They're just everywhere around here. So it's easy to stop on the way to work and pick one up. But they have ones in the, I believe the fish aisle around there, the pet aisle, they have the the smaller ones. I think they're like five bucks each. So they're easy to come by. You can get them off of Amazon with the free shipping. They're cheap and they're a nice little size for it. They allow for some deep substrate for if you're you know rehousing. Usually you're going to rehouse them around the one and a half inch mark or so, uh, two inches possibly. If they're in a dram bottle, obviously closer to one and a half because they're going to really be outgrowing that dram bottle. But it gives allows some room for substrate. They breathe well. You know, obviously they're well ventilated in the top, so there's no extra ventilation needed. I used to cover up some of the top ventilation with tape. I no longer do that anymore. It's not necessary. It just means in the wintertime, if you're keeping something that's moisture dependent, you're going to have to be a little more diligent with making sure that you add water. But those I have right now, I think... I have two Cedar Lingi in, and then I have the majority of my juvenile young adult Harpactera species, Harpacteras, 
in those as well, and I love them. They're stackable. They look attractive. There's not really any alterations you have to do with them, except be careful with the place where the handle goes in on the top because they'll have that little clear window, and then there'll be a handle that goes around it. Now, you can take those handles. I take those handles out, and I throw them away. I'm not going to use the handles. They, I don't know why they put the handles on it because it even says around the directions, do not hold this by the handle ridiculous but you take those out but there's going to be a little hole underneath now if you're putting in say a spider that's an inch you know close to an inch mark they can climb right out of those holes in there so what i do is put either a little dollop of hot glue works great if you got the hot glue gun that you're using just put a dollop of hot glue in each of those two holes to keep the spiders from escaping and then keep in mind critter keepers i've I've warned people about these for years. They're not good for smaller slings because they can climb right out of those ventilation slats in the top. And two weeks ago, I had somebody who put their M. Balfouri. They were going to do an M. Balfouri communal, and they put them in one of those, and three of the slings are gone because they went right out those slats. So keep that in mind. I don't usually put mine in those until they're about the inch and a half mark. I mean, you could probably do inch and a quarter, but keep in mind, if their carapace can fit through, they will squeeze through, and sometimes they can injure themselves and hurt, you know, pop their abdomens trying to get through. So just keep that in mind. I did catch one years ago. Somebody had warned me that you can't use the critter keepers for the smaller ones. And like a dingus, I didn't listen. I was like, all right, I had a one of the really tiny ones. They're adorable, and they're perfect size for a sling, but they have the same size ventilation slats on the top. And I put a spider in it, and I was just so lucky as I went to turn out the lights at night, and I was going around checking the collection, and there's a spider halfway out. So I'm like, oh, all right, the lesson learned. You know, I'm, I'm fortunately sometimes can be one of those people that you can tell them that the stove's hot, but I got to put my hand on the burner first. And that's obviously not a great character to have. And I will say this is one of those times where in the hobby where I started realizing, all right, I need to start listening to people. And it wasn't I was ignoring it. It was just like, oh, no, this one will be fine. And no, wait, a lesson learned. So please learn the lesson for me. Almost happened to me. I've heard from many people over the years that have done this and you want to make sure that the sling's appropriate size. So once it hits around that, you know, inch and a half mark, you can use one of these. Anything that's around, you know, I would say two quarts to a gallon would be fine. And that's not something liter size would probably work. They're they're smaller spiders, so you don't need to go crazy with the size. But they do, they are going to want some substrate. They are going to want a starter burrow. I do start the bottom of the substrate moist, and I do moisten it down because I have found that I've, I've caught the spider, especially in the wintertime, adopting the area that's moist as the place where it's going to kind of settle in. So for example, if I have a critter keeper, I, I will moisten the substrate on one side, leave the other side bone dry. And I found the spider gravitating toward the side with the moist substrate. Now, other people out there might be shaking their heads going, mine doesn't seem to like moist at all. Fine. Don't moisten it. They're, again, they're different. Every specimen is different. Some species tend to like it. I was just talking to somebody about the AC Mani. I found that mine, the two that I've had, did appreciate the moist substrate. The gentleman I was talking to, and I totally believe him, said that he tried to moisten his down and it ended up climbing the, the side of the enclosure. So some want it, some don't. Read your spider's body language. That's, you know, the best thing I can tell you is I'm going to tell you the way I do it. I'm going to tell you what my spiders have done, but I'm also going to concede that other people are going to see different things. So if you moisten down the substrate and you find that your spider is now up top webbing heavily or it's like crammed itself in the dry corner of it, then don't bother moistening it again. But do keep a water dish full because I have caught mine drinking several times, all of them. So they are a species that will come up and grab a drink. 
This is a good eater. I found that these guys eat, they're a great eater, actually. They're fantastic little hunters. And I found that the little ones will take down these small, you know, small crickets. I, I did use pre-killed off the bat because, again, they were a little tiny, but they gobbled them right up. They grabbed the crickets, bring them right down the dens and eat the whole thing. Uh, Red runner nymphs work great for them because they're, you know, smaller. Again, I kind of stun them ahead of time because sometimes the slings can be a little... A little skittish as far as prey goes, and I've had situations where I drop in a tiny little red runner and it spooks the sling. The sling, you know, goes down the burrow and won't have anything to do with the red runners. And sometimes killing them ahead of time is just easier. But once I put on some size, they'll take down the medium ones, no problem. Uh, my ones I have now, the female is probably around the three inch mark, and she is eating full grown. Red runners, no problem, or a large cricket, no problem. The other day, as I said, I fed her four adult male red runners, and she scarfed them all down. The other one's a little bit smaller, but that one is also eating large red runners with no problem. And both of them have done, you know, the Swiss cheese tunnels and have done some webbing up top. So this is a species that will obviously... You're going to get some digging on it in most cases, but if it doesn't dig, expect to have lots of copious amounts of webbing on the surface. Now, as far as substrate, I always forget to mention the substrate because I'm kind of, I'm not one of these people that is married to any particular type of substrate. I have people that will, you know, obviously there's a lot of different things you can use. None of them are wrong. I I love the whole argument about people or when people use cocoa fiber and folks will come on and go, that's completely unnatural. Where are they going to run to the cocoa fiber in their natural habitat? Well, they're also not going to have plastic plants or live in glass cages or plastic cages. So let's, you know, try to remember it's a little bit different. We, we try to sometimes replicate their natural environments, but there's only so far we can go with that. And bottom line is they are being kept in captivity. So there are going to be some differences, but I found cocoa fiber works. My issues with it again are the fluffiness. They can be a little bit, you know, difficult for the burrowers to get a good burrow going. They have to reinforce it with webbing. And then the fact that I always end up with that yellow fungus in it, and which is, I just had another enclosure the other day. I moistened it down for the first time in a little while and came back two days later and just boof everywhere. So that drives me nuts with it. But cocoa fiber works. Peat works. Uh, topsoil works great. Mixing in some sand's fine. Mixing in some clay. That's one of the things I've been playing with. Mixing in a little clay with it to kind of make it hold its shape. That works. Vermiculite for ones that you want to add some water to. It helps it percolate through. Whatever. Come up with a mix that works for you. Right now, I've been using a lot of the BioDude stuff. Obviously, I've talked about the fact that originally sent me a bunch of stuff to try out. I ended up loving it, and I like it. It's safe. I haven't been getting any of the mold or fungus in any of them. It's I like the consistency of it. It's expensive. You know, it costs it's 30 bucks for, I think, uh, three six-quart bags, which can be obviously a little pricey. No free shipping on it. But... It's easy to, it's my go-to lately. I, I'll probably go back to using some topsoil in a bit, but I have liked the stuff. And obviously with the bioactive enclosures, it, it makes sense to use a bioactive substrate. But whatever you use, just make sure that you give them some depth to dig in. Always give them a starter burrow. I've had people that will send me pictures and they'll go, yeah, I, I put my, you know, such and such species in. I gave it seven inches of dirt. I don't get it. It's just all curled up in the corner. So then they'll send me a picture and it'll be, they gave it the dirt, but it's just dirt. There's nothing in there. There's no foliage. There's no hide. There's no starter burrow. It's just dirt. And they sometimes people don't think about the fact that when you put it in the cage, it's not. It's going to be scared. It's not. Going to, it's going to be new surroundings. And if they don't have a place they can immediately retreat to, they might end up in a spot that you don't want them. And usually that's like the corner of the enclosure. However, if you give them a piece of cork bark, 
if you take your finger or the back of a paintbrush or a pencil, whatever it may be, and, and make a starter burrow underneath it, pack some dirt down, not only can you guide where it's going to go, so sometimes I put those in the corners so that when they start digging, they go right down the corner so I can see its burrow. Not only does that help with where it's going to position its burrow, but when the spider gets in there and everything's bright, it's going to go for that dark spot and it's going to settle down in there. And then guess what? It's going to feel secure enough to start digging in there. So you're usually going to get those digging habits a lot earlier on than if you just give it a barren landscape with just dirt. So something to keep in mind, and I would encourage anybody that does keep the seed darlingi, same thing. Give it a burrow, give it a place to start digging, you know, give it, if you want to see some of that webbing, you can put in, when you put in your cork bar, glue some fake leaves to it, give it some anchor points, because it will, usually they will web over that as well around their entrances. They really kind of neat species as far as the amount of burrowing they do and the amount of holes they end up creating that lead to their burrows. Now, as I said before, my female is about three inches or so, so we're going to be rehousing her soon. Now, what I'm getting for this one, and we're going to see how this works out, and I've been using these for a lot of my fossorial species, and I really like them. My H. Uh, divamatha is in one as well, and that's the, I believe it's like Reptazoo is the name of the company that makes them, but they're 8 by 8 by 12 glass aquariums with slide-out, you know, screen tops, and I love them for fossorials. I, I don't use them as much for arboreals because I think the Exoterra Nano Talls, the 8x8x12, those with the front opening doors are a little more convenient. But for ones that you have to stack a lot of substrate in, these are 12 inches tall, so you can easily get 7 or 8 inches of substrate in them right off the bat to allow them to dig. They're more deep than they are you know, wide, they offer more depth than surface space. But I found with these smaller fossorial species, it's perfect for them. I have an AC Monty in it. She built a tunnel right down the corner, all the way down the bottom, cleared out the bottom. She stays down there most times and she does great in it. She loves it. I also obviously have my H. Divamatha in it. Again, went right down, created its burrow right down the corner, all the way down to the bottom. She comes out, sometimes you catch her front legs hanging out and she's waiting for prey, but that's been working great for her. So I'm getting one of these for the Darlinga. I actually just ordered it yesterday. It should be coming in today. And hopefully that'll allow me to do the rehousing video and finally do a husbandry video on these guys. So very excited about that. But the trick is to give them enough substrate to dig in. I am going to start with the bottom layers moist. If they don't want the bottom layers moist, if I notice they're not showing any affinity toward the moist levels, I will probably let it dry out. We'll see how it goes. Again, most people don't keep their adults particularly moist and what they'll do is overflow a water dish and that's perfectly fine and I've spoken to people who just keep them completely dry with a water dish and that sounds like it's perfectly fine again it's this is a species that is usually considered to be an arid species it's just I have noted that the smaller specimens at least do sometimes seem to seek out the moisture so what I will do with this one is hopefully I will do a video where I'll set the whole thing up and we're going to give it, you know, seven, eight inches of substrate. Again, you need to leave some space at the top, especially with the adults. They're going to be moving some serious dirt. So I've had spiders that I've left, you know, five inches at the top and they've gone and dug and I come back the next day and that substrate is packed all the way to the top of the enclosure. And that's something to keep in mind, you know, a little tip, leave yourself some room if you, you suspect that your spider is going to burrow. And again, we'll see how this one goes. This is kind of a trial one because I'm trying to find out which specimens work well in these. Obviously, HDV math are smaller species of spider, so I think they'll do very well. I was going to rehouse, I have to rehouse Akila Brockie's species, Electric Blue, two of them, in fact. And I thought this one, having kept Akila Brockie's in the past, they're a, lot, they're a larger spider and they need some more room, some more floor space. So I'm going to go with something a little bit larger. I found... 
on Amazon, I believe there were 5.5 gallon. It was one of the companies that makes the reptile enclosures and it's got like the screen top that you slide out and open. What I did was I picked up one of these to try out for my Kill Rocky Species Electric Blue and I am gonna show the setup for this one. And instead of using the screen top, I ripped the screen out, cut the screen out actually because it was glued in there really well. And then I bought some thinner plexiglass, cut it out, drilled it, and replaced that with plexiglass. Now I'm getting ready to use that as the enclosure, and I'm hoping it's five gallons, a little longer, more floor space, but also about, it's going to allow me to put in about seven or eight inches of substrate in it as well, which would be enough depth for my Keelabrockies to dig. So that's, if this enclosure ends up, if I at any point feel like this one, you know, has a couple molts, and I feel like she's a little cramped in it, then we'll move her into the other one. Because the one thing I have noticed about these guys is they will build you know, a lot of tunnels with multiple exits and entrances. And if I find that she just doesn't seem to have enough space to do that, I will move her to something five gallon size. So for those of you who are keeping them that are thinking ahead to what to use as far as adults, that's what I'm looking at now. We're going to try her out in the 8x8x12, eight by eight by see how that goes. But if at any point I feel like she's cramped, we'll probably get her into something more five gallon. I've also looked at some of the acrylic enclosures. Lorex makes some really nice ones. I just have to find one where the vents are much closer to the top because obviously one of the biggest issues I found is the acrylic enclosure. Sometimes they put the vents like right in the middle of the sides, which means you can't put a lot of substrate in. They start digging and all the dirt starts trickling out those holes and makes a mess. So I will be looking for something that has, you know, in the future, an acrylic enclosure would be nice. Something five, you know, six, seven, eight gallons, whatever it may be with the vent holes drilled higher up so that I can put more substrate in it. And I do know Lorex, if you contact them, if it's not the busy season, they will do custom ones for you. It might cost you a couple extra bucks, but they'll put the holes up higher and, you know, they'll, they'll make them to your specimen. So that might be something I try in the future and something I'm looking towards because, again, I'm moving a lot of these guys into prettier enclosures. However, what will also work, which is cheaper, are the extra large critter keepers. Another thing, the great alternative, and I have a bunch of those in circulation in my collection. So those offer a lot of room, a lot of depth. I think they're about 11 inches deep or so, so you can easily get eight or nine inches of substrate in there. And again, leave some room for the digging, but they offer a decent amount of surface area as well. So that's another type of enclosure you could use for them. And again, Again, they're stackable, so they, you know, you can make the most of the room you have with them. I have a couple of them where I have them stacked up too deep, works great. So those would work as well. Any of those enclosure types would work, but you just need something that's going to give them some room to burrow, some room to grow, because obviously they're going to turn into, you know, five, five and a half inch spiders or so. You know, they're, they're medium-sized spiders overall, but you want to make sure they have enough room to create those dens, feel secure, so you don't end up with a defensive spider. And remember, these are just suggestions of things that I'm looking at using. Uh, the Sterilite containers, the ones I used to use, they sell at Walmart. They make these big ones. They're pretty. I want to say 32 quarts, but I'm not sure exactly what size they are. They're, they're bigger ones. Or they have the hanging file ones that they used to have out there. Those work as well. They're inexpensive. The only issue with them is, you know, with the Sterilite plastic, it's usually cloudy. You can't see as well. And I've used them before. I've used them for years. I'm moving away from them because I can't, I'm kind of at a point in my collection where I'm just not buying as many spiders now. I have max capacity, let's put it that way. And so I'm looking to improve other aspects of my transform by like, you know, doing nicer cages. But those will work just as well. Find something that works for you. Find something that works within your budget. Again, I know it can be expensive buying the high-end cages. Believe me, I get it. And use something that you just, bottom line, sometimes run into Walmart and grab one of those Sterilite containers. You got your soldering iron, you put your holes in, you're good to go. It's convenient, it's cheap, and it's an appropriate cage. Your spider's not going to know the difference. Your spider isn't going to look at you and go, hey, dude, why can't I see out of this? It seems kind of milky. In fact, it's probably going to like the milkier one better. So, 
feel free to use whatever works for you. Now, as far as temperatures, the first ones I have, it was back in the day before I had any extra heat in the transfer room, so it hit the high 60s sometimes, you know, 67, 68, usually around there in the wintertime, and in the summertime, it was usually high 70s to 80. They did perfectly fine. That first male, I think, matured out. I want to say 11 months. It wasn't, I'd have to double check my notes on it, but it wasn't a very long time. I, I'm pretty positive it was earlier than a year. It had matured out and that was with the cooler temperatures. Now, the newer ones I have are kept in the you know low 70s in the wintertime and the high 70s to 80s in the summertime and they've been growing just as well. Uh, the female put on quite a bit of size in particular and then the other one is actually, I think, due for a molt pretty soon. So I'm, again, I'm hoping for another lady. I'd love to have a couple of these, but they grow fairly quickly overall at those temps and then it's if you were to, uh, one of those folks that has hotter temps, I was speaking to somebody that lives in California where they were talking about it's usually quite warm during the summertime and they were growing, their stuff was lapping mine in, in terms of growth rate. It's amazing because some species, what we're finding is they do well at different temperatures, but we found that some species will grow much, much faster if kept in higher temperatures. So for example, I have a G. pulchra that took forever to reach adult size. I have somebody I was talking to that picked theirs up, and within a year, it went from a half-inch sling to about a three-inch you know, young adult specimen, which blew my mind because mine took much longer to reach that. So, and I asked what, what was the difference? Theirs were kept mostly in the eighties all year round. So there you go. But it doesn't, they don't need extra heat. They don't need to be heated. I found that mine grew just as quickly. You know, obviously a male maturing in a year is nothing to scoff at. That's pretty fast growth. So nothing to worry about there. And then we've already addressed, obviously the moisture requirements. Slings I do keep with, you know, I keep the lower levels moist. I allow the top to dry out. With the juveniles, when I move them into the critter keepers, I moisten down one corner. Mine have shown that they appreciate that a little bit and tend to frequent that, especially in the wintertime. Not so much in the summer where it's particularly humid here. We get quite the other day, we had literally, it was 90 degrees and 98% humidity, something got awful like that. And a lot of my spiders were like climbing their cages because of high humidity. So obviously, keep in mind what you're, what's going on outside. If it's summertime and it's super humid where you are, they're probably not going to need it moistened down. They're going to have enough moisture just in the air. Naturally, you don't want to end up with a swampy enclosure for a species that's kind of more arid. But if it's wintertime and the air is really dried out, I have found that mine seem to appreciate it. As far as temperament, mine, again, they're more secretive. I don't have a lot of trouble with any of my spiders. I feel like I keep saying this. I feel bad because... I feel like I have, should have something that's nasty that I can report on, but it, mine have been great. They're skittish. I've never gotten a threat pose. Uh, they can be a little crazy and bolt-like, but they bolt down their burrows. They don't try to bolt out of the enclosure or at you. But again, mine have been pretty pretty laid back overall. No issues there. And I definitely understand why people will encourage them or, or suggest them as beginner old world species because they are, they are a nice transition into keeping those baboon species. And again, what's cooler than a spider that has a horn on its back? I haven't spoken about that at all, but talk about a unique appearance. When they first start getting those horns, they start off as like a little black button on the carapace at first and it gets bigger and bigger. And my female the other day came out and I was like, man, that thing got big. So cool looking, just a cool species. Definitely one, I think, for people looking to transition into old worlds. Definitely a species you should check out. They seem to be particularly hardy, great eaters, not difficult to keep. Where do you go wrong? Definitely awesome species, and I obviously understand why I get so many requests for them. So for at least, and for the time being, this will help for people that, you know, unfortunately, I found that with the YouTube videos, when you toss them a podcast link, it's like 50-50 whether or not they're actually going to listen to it. So I'm like, no, dude, I, I want a video. I don't want to listen to you talk. But some people will be like, hey, thank you so much. I just listened to the whole thing. And my favorites are, hey, thanks so much. I just listened to the whole thing. And I'm listening to your other podcast. That's awesome. So 
awesome species. Glad I got them. Glad I could finally do some type of, you know, husbandry information. Um, actually, I think what I would do is also turn this one into an article because I don't think I've addressed that one. You'll have to go back. Sometimes people will, like, show me articles I did that I don't even remember I did. Or my favorite is, like, a video. Oh, you did a video on this? I'm like, I did a video on that. Or, sadly, the other day I went to uh, – I was going to rehouse Hapalopus species Columbia large. And, like, maybe I'll do a video on this. And I happen to be answering comments on my site or on my YouTube page, and somebody was responding to the video that I already did that I completely forgot about. I think I'm starting to go senile or something because I tend to forget. But you do, I, I tend to do the podcast, you know, obviously spent years doing the website and then the YouTube channel. And sometimes I forget which one of them I posted something on. So anyway, that that's pretty much C. Darlingi, awesome species. For those of you looking to step into old worlds, good one to check out. And for those of you who have them, hopefully please chime in with what you're seeing with yours. Are yours burrowing? Are they doing more webbing? Are you keeping them with deep substrate and they're digging? Are you keeping them in shallow for the webbing? Again, I'm always for the preference. My thing is I want the tarantula to be comfortable. I think the reason why I can report such you know good behavior from the majority of my species is because I try to give them exactly what they want to feel comfortable. It's not about how much I see them. It's about them feeling you know secure in their enclosure. So I do know there are people out there that their, their, their outlook on it is this is my animal. I purchased it. I would like to see it. Therefore, I'm going to give it a setup that's going to allow me to see it more. Obviously, it's your prerogative. It's not hurting the spider. If they're eating and growing, that's fine. But that's when you tend to get a situation where they're webbing up extensively. They web up to the you know the top of the enclosure. And then that's when you get a defensive spider because when you go to open that enclosure and take that lid off, they're immediately like, you just ripped the, the roof of my house off and now they're going to stand and fight. So that's why I don't encourage that. But obviously, people do. I'm not going to... I don't know if you can brand it right or wrong. It's just I have my way of doing it. Other people have theirs. So if you keep yours that way, please feel free to chime in. Maybe you keep yours on shallow substrate. They web and you found that they're pretty laid back. Maybe you keep them on shallow substrate because yours never showed any type of inclination to dig. And that would be something to hear about. But please chime in with what you're seeing with yours and any pictures of them because I love seeing pictures of these guys. And I will have to at some point start to get, you know, some more of the Ceratogyrus species. I've, I've always just focused on Darlingi, but I would like to get Marshali, and I can't think of the other one right off the top of my head, but I definitely need to get more of them because they are such cool spiders. All right, so that covered it there. I, for those of you that have been waiting for a species-specific one, that one's for you, and I will be doing more of these. They're just, they're very easy for me to do because I, you know, obviously I've kept these guys for a while. I have notes on them and everything. It's just sometimes I feel like if, I just worry that people are going to go on and go, oh, I have no interest in old world whatsoever i have no interest in this so i try to keep you know try to vary what i'm covering so that we give more people more things to appreciate and enjoy in the podcast and and as far as the species concerned as i'm obviously getting ready to rehouse one into an adult enclosure for those of you who have adults please feel free to post pictures of what you have i, I get a lot of inspiration from looking at other keepers setups and what they do and i'd love to see how you have yours set up plus people that listen to this podcast they hear what i plan on doing and what my thoughts are but they can also drop down the comment section on facebook and see what other people are doing so it's not just my opinion i hate it just being like tom says this is the right way it's not the case. I learned so much from talking to other keepers, I can't even begin to tell you. So we're about done with this one. I can't really, I had another topic I was going to try to fit in here if I had the time at the end of this one, but I don't know if I'll be able to do it justice. So what I will do is share a little anecdote. And I'm not saying this, I, I just need to share this because it kind of cracks me up sometimes. But 
this is what I, I woke up to this morning. I did a video on YouTube about best beginner species a while back. It's probably been my most popular as far as, because a lot of people are looking for beginner species. It's probably the one that's caused me the most, um, how do I put this, like indecision because I go back and watch a video and there are things I do differently now and there's no way to really, once you put a video up on YouTube, it's there forever. You can't go and edit. I can't like do a different version of this and put it up under the same thing, which for obvious reasons, I get why you can't, but it's a shame because it's gotten so much traction and so much, so many people see it. And it does seem to help a lot of people out, but there's, I would do it so much differently now. But anyway, I got two of these this week. Now the whole video is a list of what I think are good beginner species with, you know, pros cons from everything to availability to ease of care to temperament at the end i even tack on the gbb and the lp as far as ones that might be on you know for people that are a little more prepared than just for just the you know typical g rosea or you know grandma stole polka beads or something like that i have the ones in the end but this is the one i've been getting a lot lately and i'm just sharing again i'm not i don't want this to seem like i'm making fun of anybody but it just kind of struck me as funny we sit here in the living room and i got billy here and my son roan and i'm going through comments and i'm like oh this one's because billy's been learning a lot about these lately and i'm kind of hoping at some point one of my kids takes a more you know a larger interest in it because you know I, I don't know how long i'll be doing this for I, I might not be doing it forever and it'd be so cool to have one of my kids take over and start learning it and i, I think my youngest kale is probably the most interested my other kids are high schoolers you know they got a million things going on they they take a kind of a cursory interest in it i shouldn't say that they're interested and roan especially always asks questions but then he kind of walks away and goes plays Fortnite or whatever so anyway i'm reading some of the things out loud and explaining kind of getting them all hooked onto the fact of right this is what i do this is how you know here's the question sometimes i quiz billy all right here's what the person said what do you think the issue is and she's been getting great at i think they don't have enough foliage in there so it's up in the corner uh, hiding out because it feels insecure and i'm like yes all right there we go so anyway back to my original point i'm reading out comments we're going through it and this is the comment it's on my video a beginner species lots of views i'm proud of it, it things i changed but i'm proud of it and it seems to help a lot of people hi tom thanks so much for this video can you recommend a good beginner species yep like that one uh, I don't, how do you answer those? Like I'm looking at like, and I don't, I never want to be rude. I never want to sound condescending. I don't know if somebody just, sometimes I misconstrue. Sometimes I, I it sounds like they're asking something and they don't, but I, I'm like, I just like, I spent hours on that video making it so that it would answer any questions people would have. And I find that some people just don't even bother to watch the video. They see the title, they click on it, they go, oh man, this guy's doing a lot of talking. Hey, what would you recommend? Um, and then the one right after it, believe it or not, was what about the Grandma Stola Poker Peas? Would that make a good beginner species? Well, guess what? Grandma Stola Poker Peas is one of my favorites and it's in the video. So just some funny situations. And again, I, I always respond like, all right, well, is there, did you, did you watch the video? Is there something in there that doesn't appeal to you? Is there one you like? Do you want more information? I try to lead them into like, I'm not sure where they're going with this because the whole video spells out everything I would want to say about it. And I share it with you guys because I found that my, the, the folks that I, and this isn't obviously everybody. I, I love my YouTube channel and there are some people over there that I actually consider friends now. So don't let, the, you know, I don't want this to be misconstrued, but I've just found that the podcast people are the ones that, you know, the, if you guys are going to listen to me talk for 45, 50 minutes about spiders, you're obviously very into it. You're looking for that information. And so I just share it as kind of a fun story, but that's one of the things I, th I think it does point to one of the issues we have in the hobby and that's the folks that it is it's a hobby that you're going to need to do some research and I found that unfortunately a lot of people 
either I don't want to say they're too lazy to do the research, but I think some are just they want somebody to just, you know, do it for me. Tell me what to do. I, I think in other instances, it's they don't know how to research, like they don't know how to, uh, you know, use the critical thinking skills to figure out, is this a good source? Is this a bad source? They don't, we're in a generation now, and I see it because working with high school kids where you hop on your, you have a question, you hop on your cell phone, you put in, you know, what is a great beginner species? They look at the first thing that pops up, they take it as the word of God, and then they move on with it. And they don't bother to go, we spent a lot of time with my kids trying to teach them this, to fact check, verify it, look at other sources, look at other things, you know, all right, this is the first one that popped up, but is that necessarily the best one? Again, I, I talked before in an earlier podcast about a the best beginner's species tarantula list that was out there that named the OBT as one of the best beginner species. And this was one of the top things when you looked up beginner species. This used to be one of the top listings that popped up on Google. So how many people saw that and went, oh, cool, OBT, great. Oh my God, it's orange, it's fuzzy, let me pet it. A lot of people were probably led astray because of that. And that was one of the things that made me want to do one because I was like, all right, this is going to get some people in trouble. This could get some people hurt. And there wasn't any explanation as to really, there wasn't enough time spent that although they may be bulletproof as far as husbandry, their attitudes are going to be too much for people. And even the way the guy was keeping it, it was it was in a shallow container. It was showing people to keep them in a way that is probably going to draw out some of that defensive behavior. So it was not a good situation. So... I think one of the biggest issues, and again, as a teacher, I see it all the time, is the fact that just people sometimes don't want to spend the time. But it blows my mind because you make a video, and I'm thinking, again, I moved over from Tom's Big Spire's website to the pod, uh, to the YouTube channel because I was trying to get more people that information because a lot of people don't have the time or energy. to. They're not readers. They're not going to get their information that way. So I thought, visual, the videos, somebody talking. That'll, uh, that'll appeal to another group of, you know, the visual learners, the ones that want to see these rehousing, see this stuff done. But then some people don't even want to watch those. So it's like, I don't know what to do. So anyway, I share it kind of just as a fun anecdote, some of the things that I encounter when I'm doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff. It just it sometimes gets me only because it's like, all right, there's time I spent answering that question that was already answered if you watch, if you just bothered to watch a video where there are people that have legitimate, you know, they've done the research and they have a legitimate question that goes beyond what I might've presented in the video. But it is what it is, just kind of a funny story. But that's how my morning started today with the giggle with Billy and Ron and I sitting in the living room and me reading that one out like, oh my gosh. The other one is in that video, and I think I might've mentioned this before, one of the, I think it's the G, I think it's actually the poker piece it had molted and i pulled the molt out but one of the legs fell off the molt so there's a molt there if i had a dollar for every person that mentioned hey dude your spider's missing a leg even though if you count if you look at the spider you can count that there's eight legs on it but they see that leg and again people obviously haven't done enough research to know that they molt and then it might be a molt if i had a dollar for every one of those comments even though it's in you know the description of the video says that is not a spider's leg it's from an old molt and i explained it I would be a rich man. I would be doing this full time. I'd be sitting here, you know, I wouldn't be going to school on Monday trying to figure out how to teach a class that I've never taught before. I would be sitting at home making just beautiful, stunning YouTube videos. But oh well, it's not, unfortunately, nobody's paying me for that. But it just, again, interesting stuff. I just feel like sharing it. Again, as I mentioned last time, you guys have kind of become my therapy with this. I feel. It, the conversational tone of this, I can almost pretend like I'm actually talking to people. I've had people email me and comment that I feel like you're talking to me and like we're having a conversation. Well, it, it I appreciate that because I feel like I'm talking to you guys. I can picture some of you out there shaking your heads, hopefully, and 
we're having a nice conversation. This is great. So anyway, enough of that. Time for me to actually go do some rehousings and get some work done because unfortunately my time is going to be limited through the work week. And the last couple of nights I've been coming home just kind of falling asleep with cuddling with the dogs on the couch. So hopefully once things get going, I get a, you know things set and situated, it'll be easier. But right now it's been kind of exhausting. So that will do it for this one. Again, I just want to thank anybody that bought merchandise. I can't tell you how... It's been amazing to see how much people have responded to that. And again, I was very scared to put it out there because it's a very personal thing. It's my artwork. It's a different thing than I normally do. I spent you know years doing horror illustrations and stuff, so it was a little bit different. And I did pick a style that I figured some people would appreciate and some people would be like, this is not for me. Totally get it. But to see the response and how excited people are for it, it, it really made it all worthwhile. So... As always, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening to me drone on and being my therapist for the last, you know, 10 minutes of this. And we will catch you guys all next time.